0: Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. We hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning. My name is John Warnock. I'm one of the pastors on staff here uh, at Dogwood, and um, just want to welcome you again and say we're glad that you're here to be a part of this service with us. You know, back in 2001, our nation went through a terrible tragedy, didn't it? If you were, o- if you're over. In 2001, if you were over the age of five, you remember exactly where you were when the planes hit the Twin Towers, yes? Everybody can. Everybody can remember that. I remember we had just gotten together as a staff uh, to start our weekly staff meeting. And someone came you know, running into the, to the room and said, hey, a plane has just hit the, one of the Twin Towers. And I remember thinking, what kind of goofball Cessna pilot got so close that he, was, that he hit the, the towers? And so we we started getting just different news reports and we, we were going okay gosh this is something way bigger than a Cessna hitting it so we we didn't all have laptops with wireless at that point so we had to run to somebody else's office get to the computer so we could pull it up on the internet and we started watching and 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 saw you know the second plane hit. And so we all basically just went home. We said all right we're calling it a day. We went home. My oldest son Caleb was about not even a month old at the time. And I remember coming home and holding him and watching the events that day unfold. Anybody remember that? You probably did the same thing. You probably left work, you went home, and you held those that were closest to you. And I remember thinking to myself, what kind of world did, I, did we bring a child into? I cannot believe what is going on. Well, a couple of weeks ago, Lindsay and I had an opportunity to be in New York City for a day. And so we went to the 9-11 Memorial and Museum. Anybody been there yet? A few? people have, they've done an incredible job of telling that story and honoring the victims um, and the families. And one of the most meaningful, I don't know if the right word is display, but one of the most meaningful parts of the whole Memorial and Museum to me is the voice recordings that they have of people that were, I think, above um, where the planes had hit. And it was people who realized that they may not be making it out and so they were calling some of their loved ones and they were leaving them incredible messages. And then other voice recordings of people who weren't sure if their loved one had made it out of the tower and they were calling in and leaving voicemails and checking in on them. And then as word got out that maybe that person didn't make it, there was voicemails to the family to talk about how they were praying for them. They encouraged them. And to talk about how much they loved the person. I almost really felt guilty. For listening to those, I'm sure they had permission to uh, to put them there and display them. But it did make me think. It made me think. With as powerful as those words were, because they were really, I mean, in some ways, I mean, they were very, very sad. But in a lot of ways, they were very encouraging to the people that were going to be left behind to listen to them. And I thought, do I speak those kinds of words to my family on a regular basis? Do I speak those kinds of words to my friends and the people that I work with on a regular basis, so that they know how I feel about them while I'm still here. I mean, we have a a great tradition in our, I would say, our society. I don't know, they may do it around the world. but, But at funerals, someone or sometimes a group of people spend a lot of time thinking about how are we going to eulogize the person that has passed away, right? A lot of those are funny. Some of them are serious. But every single one I've ever heard is always meaningful. Always meaningful. And they always make me wish I would have known that person, even if especially if I didn't know him, it makes me wish I would have known them, or if I did know him, it makes me wish that I knew them more. And again, I thought words are incredibly powerful. And you and I, I think, as followers of Christ, we need to learn to use our words in appropriate ways that would cause people's lives to be encouraged, that would cause their lives to be built up. You know, last week we started a little mini-series that's going to kind of wrap up this whole year-long study, basically, that we've been in on Proverbs. We started it, we called it Words with Friends. Last week we looked at how our words can be used to destroy people. And for a quick recap, we talked about seven different ways that our words and tongues can destroy. We talked about perverse language. We talked about deceitful flattery. We talked about gossip and slander, being argumentative, boasting, and lying. And I want to ask you a question. How did your homework go? For those of you that were here, you had some homework. The homework was, remember, that you were to find someone that you know and love and that they know and love you. If you're married, a spouse, hopefully. If you're not married, you find a friend that's trusted. If you're a kid, you ask a parent or a trusted friend. And you have a conversation with them. And you say, how am I doing in those areas? Do I have any blind spots that I need to be made aware of? And so Lindsay and I took the kids to the pool Sunday afternoon. They're out swimming. Thankfully, they're old enough that we don't have to watch them in their little floaties all the time. And so we were able to have a little bit of a conversation. And I found out I was perfect. I'm just kidding. I found out that there's still some of those areas that I need to work on a little bit. And so, because I, because I love my spouse and I know she loves me, I know that the words that she had to say that day were really meant to build me up. Not to cause grief and harm and strife. So today, we're going to look at how do we use our words to really, really build people up. Before we do that, I want to pray for us again. So let's pray. Father God, thank you again for your love for us and the sacrifice That you made for us by sending your son to die on the cross. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for being in the business of restoring people. And God, today, as we look through Proverbs and we study your word on how we use our words, help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear what you are showing us and what you are speaking to us. God, give us your wisdom on how we are to live. And help us to learn to use our words, to worship You, to honor You, and to build other people up. God, as we go about the rest of this service today, may it cause us to fall more more in love with You. And it's in Your name we pray. Amen. Well, Proverbs first teaches us that we are to speak wise words. If you want to, if you want to um, encourage people, if you want to build people up, then you must learn to speak wise words. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 32, by the way, I think our scripture is only going to say the, the reference. We're going to go through some of these pretty quick. So write the references down. you can look them up later. but Proverbs chapter 10 verse 32 says, "The lips of the righteous know what is fitting." And then in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 7, it says, "The lips of wise, of the wise, spread knowledge." And then on in verse 22, still in chapter 15, it says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Now these verses quite simply are telling us two things, all right? Number one is they are telling us that we should only give wise advice. We should only speak wise words. Number two, it's also telling us that we should only seek advice from wise people. So that begs the question. How do we get this kind of wisdom? Because if you're like me, there are times, probably lots of times if you're like me, where you don't necessarily feel like the wisest person in the world. Well, here are some things to keep in mind as we are struggling, I'll say, to become wise. Versus this, sometimes we should just remain silent. There are times where I don't need to open my mouth. And there's times where you don't need to open your mouth when someone has asked a question. Or they're seeking advice. Proverbs chapter 17 verse 28 says, Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent. You know, if you don't know the right answer, if you don't know the right way to guide somebody, you know the worst thing you can do? Shoot from the hip and make something up and steer them in the wrong direction. The absolute best thing you can do is be, to be quiet and, and maybe if, if nothing else, pray with that person and say, you know what God, we don't know what to do here. Give us your wisdom. I believe God answers that kind of prayer. We also gain wisdom by fearing the Lord, according to Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. We fear God. Psalm chapter 111, verse 10 teaches us the same thing. It says this, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. All you, all you obey His commandments will grow in wisdom. Praise Him forever. So fear... I, we've got to explain that because I think we miss it a little bit in our society and our culture today. Fear equals reverence for God. It's, it's like the, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. So Isaiah was a prophet in the Old Testament, and he had a vision of God where he saw God. And when he did, he said, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. And he, he really, the woe part means, oh my gosh, I'm going to die because I have just seen God. He had a tremendous reverence for him. God was holy. God is just. God was not Isaiah's buddy. All right. Now God loves us tremendously. God wants a relationship with us. God does, in some ways, want the friendship part of things. But we have to remember that we've got to be reverent in our attitude towards Him. True wisdom comes from remembering that. It's understanding who God is, knowing that He is holy, that He can't have anything to do with sin. Knowing that he's just, righteous and, yes, of course, love. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse verse 12 and verses 20 through 21, gives a little more guidance on wisdom, it tells us to love him, to serve him and obey him with all of our heart and soul. When we get that, that's the beginning of wisdom, fearing, having reverence for God. Those verses also, you remember, taught that we are to only seek advice from wise people. This isn't to say that you cannot gain wisdom from someone that's not outside the Christian faith, okay? Because, after all, all truth is God's truth. But but when we're talking about things of life and death, so to speak, or our relationships, our wisdom, we need to make sure that we're going to people that have walked the road and walked it well. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. Let's say you are having difficulty in your marriage relationship. Who do you think you should go to? Should you go to a, believed, a couple that are they're believers, they love Jesus, they've been walking with God for 50 years at least, and they've been married for 50 years? Or do you go to your buddy at work who's 30 and he's been married three or four times already? I mean, seriously, who do you, who do you, where would you go for advice for that? Who do you think really is going to have the most wisdom? I know in here we all would go, well, of course, it's the, it's the older couple that's been walking with God for a while and walking with one another for a while. But the reality is, is most of us, as we're having lunch with our buddies, that's where we look for advice. And I think we've got we've to figure out a way to get that out of our lives and go, you know what? When I'm struggling, when I need help, that I find wise people that would um, mentor me and us. Not only are we to speak wise words and learn to do that, Proverbs says that if we're going to build others up, that we must speak words of rebuke. Now, I know that many of you are sitting there saying, wait a second, that doesn't sound like a a word that's going to build somebody up. Rebuke? I've got to rebuke somebody? It may even sound unpleasant to you. Scripture doesn't teach us Scripture doesn't teach us that all of our conversations are going to have 1980s movies endings. And here's what I mean by that. In the 80s movies, typically, they always ended great, right? And that's the reason why I love movies, typically, from the 80s. They always had a great ending, no matter what was happening. Scripture doesn't teach us that that's the way our life is, and it certainly doesn't teach us that that's the way all of our conversations are going to be. We may actually have to have, matter of fact, you will have to have hard conversations with people throughout your life. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 5 says, "A fool spurns his father's discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence." A good father lovingly disciplines his children, not to hurt them, but because he loves them and he wants the best for them. Proverbs chapter 15 verses 31 through 32 says this: "He who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise." he who ignores discipline despises himself but whoever heeds correction gains understanding obviously those verses are telling us that you and i are to listen to words of rebuke but it implies that there has to be somebody to give the rebuke right we can't listen to it unless somebody's willing to give it well how do we do that And how do we do that so that we don't come off off as jerk faces, right? I mean, we don't want to be known as the guy when you're walking down the hallway at the office or when you're at home, like, all right, well, here comes dad. He's going to rebuke me about something, and I can't stand that because he's a jerk when he does it. How do we do that? Well, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6 gives us a little bit of an answer of how. And it says this it says, wounds from a friend can be trusted. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. This verse tells us then, if you're going to rebuke someone, you don't just go find someone who's doing something wrong in the world and go wag your finger in front of them and tell them how much God hates them and how wrong they are. If you're going to rebuke someone, it says the best way to do that really is to be a friend to them. Right? So you rebuke people that you know and love and that you have a relationship with. And you do it in a way that yes, may linger like a bruise, but because you love them, it impacts their lives and, it, they, and they listen. Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 teaches us that we do have a responsibility to keep one another from sinning. And that's one of the reasons why it's important for us as followers of Christ to make sure that we're a part of life groups. Because that's where you get to know people. That's where you get to have great relationships with people. And that's where, quite frankly, where some of your rebuking should happen. Maybe not in the context of as you're all sitting there in the group. But as you get to know people and they love you that, that maybe if they see something going on in your life that they take you out for a cup of coffee and they say, John, listen, I, I've seen this going on. You know I love and care about you. I want the best for you. But I've seen this and, and according to Scripture, we, we're supposed to live a little bit differently. Now a final note about giving rebuke. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 11 says, A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Now, while that sounds good, what in the world does that mean? Well, the key word in that verse is the word aptly. Aptly. And aptly in, in Hebrew meant the right timing. The right timing is absolutely critical. Absolutely critical. Because what you have to say might be absolutely 100% true in your rebuke to somebody else. But if you do it at the wrong time, they're not going to listen to you. Now, I've told y'all before that I enjoy coaching my son's Little League team. We had a kid on our team, um, really one of the best baseball players that was on our team. And he was up to bat, so, you know, he's up like this, he's up to bat. He's got his bat back like this. And the, the pitch comes in, and it is such a wild pitch, it actually goes behind his head. He doesn't move, doesn't move his arm, doesn't move his bat, and the ball hits his bat and goes back to the back screen. And the umpire calls a strike, because that's what it is, it hit his bat. It was a foul ball, foul tip, so it was a strike which ultimately led to this kid striking out. Now, he didn't know that was one of the rules. We had not yet taught them at that point. When the ball goes behind you, get your bat down so that it doesn't accidentally hit it. He thought it was the most unfair thing that ever happened to him in his entire life, or at least he acted that way, because as he was going back to the dugout, he's throwing his helmet, and he's throwing his bat, which is not allowed on our team. He was crying, and there is no crying in baseball, right? It's exactly right. And so the right time to tell him and teach him about that rule was not at that moment. What we had to do at that moment was get him into the dugout and just have him sit on the bench and cool down a little bit. After the game, we were able to sit down and we were able to say, look, all right, now, I know that seems really unfair. The ball was nowhere close to the strike zone. You didn't even swing. But if it hits your bat, it doesn't matter what happens. It's a foul ball and a strike. And then he got it. He was able to hear it. You see what I'm saying? So you have to be very careful in your rebuke of people, in your teaching of people, in your, in your reproof of people to make sure that your timing is right. Proverbs goes on and it tells us that we are also to use our words for encouragement. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 30 says, A cheerful look brings joy to the heart, and good news gives health to the bones. And then in sixteen, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 24, it says this, Pleasant words are a honeycomb. Sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Both of these verses are teaching us that speaking words of encouragement not only bring joy to people, but they bring help to people's souls. Heals them. I want to state the obvious here. It's not saying that the next time you have strep throat, instead of going to the doctor and getting an antibiotic, that you just have someone speak encouraging words to you. That's not what it's saying. But it is saying that there is a deep healing that begins to happen in people when you encourage them with the love of Christ. A couple of weeks ago, I had lunch with a friend of mine. We get together periodically, and he stopped midway through the lunch, midway through conversation, and really just spoke some incredible words of encouragement to me. Words that I really won't ever forget. And do you know what it did for my soul at that moment? It was as if, when this man was speaking words, it was as if God was speaking through him. Because what this person didn't know Was that I had had a bad couple of days. I'd had a stressful couple of days. Now, all right, in the grand scheme of things, I still had a house over my head. My family was great. We had food, but it was a stressful couple of days. And this person, by being obedient to God and listening, was really able to help speak life back into my soul and encouragement. You never know, you never know when God will use your words to do that same thing in people's lives. Remember last week, we did talk a little bit about how words bring life and death. And the life part of that thing is is just what I just described. You can bring life into people by using words of encouragement to them. So think about how you speak to your spouse or your kids or your coworkers, or your neighbors. And then a challenge for you is find a way to speak words of encouragement to at least one person every day. Find a way. It will change their lives, and I think it will change yours too. Not only are we, we to speak words of encouragement, but Proverbs teaches us that we are to use words that ultimately share the good news of Jesus Christ, that share the gospel with people. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 11 says this, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Your words really do have the power to change people's eternities. Check out Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Write this down. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. So, how are people going to know about Jesus? How are people going to know about real life in Him? By people telling others about Him. We are to tell the good news of Jesus. That while we were sinners, that Christ died for us so that we could be forgiven and made into having a right relationship with Him. So that we could have life to the fullest, not a perfect life, but life to the fullest here on earth. And that one day, all of our tears would be wiped away in a real place called heaven. So another challenge for you is this. Pray each day, Lord, help me to have eyes to see people the way you do. And show me whom I'm supposed to share with today. When we begin to to pray that prayer, God opens your eyes and you'll begin to see people in a new way. And you'll be able to see conversations in a new light. And you'll have opportunities to be able to share Christ. But you know, here at Dogwood, we have another opportunity for people to use their words to share Christ. And it's to share Christ with the next generation. Listen, in our church, there's all kinds of opportunities for you to serve. But our church has been blessed with lots and lots and lots of kids. Birth through 18, We've got a lot of them. And that's a good thing. We love that. It's not babysitting here. What happens over in the Quest building, the, the children's ministry building, it's not babysitting. What happens over in the multi-purpose building, it's not babysitting. It really, they, their, their ministry is designed in an age-appropriate way to help young people learn Scripture and young people to love God. But here's the deal. We have a tremendous need right now we're short on people that are willing to invest the time into those people's lives into the young people's lives. And so I want you to take out your communication card. Everybody do it. Take it out, at least look at it. I want to share with you that we need m- many of you to step up and say, "You know what? I want to invest into the next generation." Here's here's opportunities to serve. At 9:15 in the elementary side, excuse me, in the preschool and elementary side, we're still in need of three people to say, "You know what? I'll be a leader." I'll invest into these kids' lives. Now listen, let me tell you, we don't just leave you hanging with it. We train you. We help you to know what's going on. We give you the right supplies. It's not, here's the Bible and go have fun with kids. At 11, we're still in need of seven life group leaders in our preschool and elementary side of things. And listen, here's why this is important. It's it's important for those kids, but it's also important for the families that will come here to Dogwood as they drop off their most prized possession, their children, into... A building or into a room of people that they don't yet know, I can't tell you how meaningful it is for them to always bring their child to the same person every Sunday morning at 9 15 because they begin to trust that person and know that that person has the best interest in their kid's life. And so, if you would be willing to at least consider serving in the children's ministry, if you'll turn over on the back side of your communication card, you have a bunch of lines there. All I want you to do is write the word children. On there. Someone from our children's ministry team, they'll contact you. We have an interview process. We have to do a background check, legally, which is what we have to do in our day and time. But they'll talk with you and we'll help you get connected there. But we have a need in our student ministry as well. We need three men to step up and say, you know what? I'll invest into the lives of middle school guys. We need one man to jump up and say, you know what? I'll invest into the life of high school guys. we need two ladies to jump up and say, you know what, I'll invest into the lives of middle school girls. Listen, you have the opportunity, we have an incredible opportunity to speak into the life of the next generation. And I'm praying, and I'm not really saying this to make you feel guilty, but I'm praying that you will step up to the plate and help us do that. Proverbs also teaches us that our words should be words that restore people. In a gentle way. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath. By the way, on your communication card, if you're interested in doing the student ministry, put students on those lines. Someone from our student team will contact you. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath. You know what? It takes two people to have a heated argument, doesn't it? When someone responds to you or starts in on you with anger or with harshness, what's your natural response? It's to be harsh back, right? I mean, a couple of months ago, I was down in Orlando for a conference, and had, the plane was delayed, so we got in really late to Orlando. There was a lot of planes that were delayed, so the line at the rental car company was about an hour and a half long. It was nuts. And by the time we made it out to the car, I, I'm tired, and I accidentally pulled the wrong car out of the, you know, they give you a number, like 108, and I pulled it out of 107 instead of 108. And it wasn't as though that I had taken the Maserati instead of the Chevy Volt. I took the yellow Chevy Volt instead of the red Chevy Volt. It really wasn't a big deal. At least in my head it wasn't. But the lady at the exit acted as though I was trying to steal the car. And I was like, wait a second, it's, just, it's, it's good. I'll just go back. But when she came in harshly at me and yelling at me, my natural response was to yell back. A gentle answer, though, turns away wrath. And so while I started to do that, I was reminded of that verse and, and stopped and spoke as kind as I could be at that time. Gentle words. And I had to go back and change the car out. It wasn't a big deal, but it kind of helped things. So we've explored today what Proverbs teaches us about how we are to use our tongues to build people up. We're to provide wise counsel. We're to give rebuke. We are to speak words of encouragement. We are to tell others about the good news of Jesus. And we are to restore people with gentleness. Now, instead of giving you homework today, we're going to have what our high school teachers used to call in-class homework. All right. So our ushers, they're going to be coming along and they're going to be giving everybody a note card like this. It's actually in an envelope. We're going to take about the next four or five minutes in this service and I want you to pray and ask, a, ask God, who are you supposed to write a note of encouragement to? Because those are incredibly powerful words as well. Because it's something that somebody doesn't just have to remember. It's something that they can keep and they can look at. So again, I want you to pray over the next minute or so. Say, God, who is it that I need to write a note of encouragement to? And then we want you to write that note. Now, if you obviously you're going to know their name. If you know their address and you want us to mail it for you, on the outside, put their name and their full address. We won't be able to look up their addresses for you. But if you put their name and full address, we'll mail it for you. If you don't know their address, well, then you're on your own to find it later and to put it in the mailbox on your own. But we're going to do that just now. We're going to have a little bit of practice speaking words of encouragement to somebody. So let's take about the next four minutes and let's write those notes of encouragement. All right, I know that some of you still may be writing. And if you didn't get finished, then I guess you do have a little bit of homework to do when you get home. Sorry for that but not sorry enough to not ask you to do it. Um, If you did get finished, again, if you'll address the envelope, if you want us to mail it, um, when we worship God by taking the tithes and offerings, um, you can put that note card in the offering basket and they'll get separated and we'll mail them out and it'll be a good thing. Let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. You know, one of the things that we kind of hydroplaned over a little bit in the sermon was when I talked about sharing the good news with people. And I'd be remiss if we didn't take a moment and make sure that everyone in here, in this room, had an opportunity to know for sure that they were a follower of Christ. Because Jesus did come so that you and I could have life abundantly. He came so that you and I could have our sins forgiven. Because the reality is, is each one of us has chosen to go our own way instead of God's way. And on our own, we're sunk. But with Christ in us, with Christ in us, we're made new. We're made whole. And so this morning, if maybe you have realized that you don't know Jesus, then tell God something like this in your own words. Lord Jesus, to the best that I understand it, I ask You to come into my life to be my leader and my forgiver. In other words, God, I'm giving You complete and total control of who I am. And God, forgive me for me choosing to go my own way. Listen. if you prayed that prayer, it's really the most important decision that you will ever make in your life. And and we as a church, we exist to help people to know Jesus and to grow in their relationship with Him. So I want to ask you to do something. If you prayed that prayer, on the back of that communication card, there's a box that you can check that says, I have decided to follow Jesus today. If you'll check that box so that you can let us know about it, we will get in contact with you with some resources that will help you grow in your walk with Christ. But I want to invite you to not wait for that because we have people this morning that will help you get started on that journey this morning. In the front left-hand side of the auditorium, there'll be some folks that are standing over there in the corner next to a table and they would love to pray with you this morning and go ahead and give you some resources in helping you grow in your walk with Christ. Father God, I thank You again for Your love for us. Lord, I pray that You would help us to become people that build each other up with our words and with our actions. And that You would help us to become a people that worship You in all that we are. And it's in Your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.